What is up, Pistons fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Three Rings Podcast. My name is Vinayx Farouk, and I'm joined by Neil Sinha and Ada Macron, per usual. Today, we have a very special episode. We're going to talk about the 2022 NBA Draft, and we are joined by Wilco from the YouTube channel Floor and Ceiling. We're going to discuss the Pistons Draft, which involved selecting Jaden Ivey at number five and making a trade for Jalen Duran at pick number 13. So just to straight up get into it, what were your guys' initial thoughts on the Jaden Ivey pick at five? Would you have made that same pick? And yeah, just give your overall thoughts. I thought it was a great pick. I mean, it was actually the pick that we had in our mock drafts, and I was the one taking that pick for Troy Weaver there. So I thought it was a great pick. I think Jaden Ivey's explosiveness just, you know, sets him so far apart from everybody else. His ceiling is sky high. We've talked about it over and over. All the tools are there. He's just got to put it together. <clears throat> and so if the coaching can really help him out and, you know, focus on his skill set and developing the shot, the defense, so on, they, he's going to be a very, very good player. And I think some of the goals that he set on draft night could be attainable. He did say some wild things of like he wants to win multiple championships, multiple MVPs, top 15 in scoring. But, hey, you got to love the confidence and, and the big goals. Yeah, nothing as crazy as Ben Matherin, but yeah, still a little bit of some hot takes. Uh, but I think overall, yeah, I think it was a solid pick, best player on the board. Obviously, I've been the glass half empty guy and had a little bit of skepticism. I still have a little bit, you know, I just the, having three Big Ten players get drafted in the top 10 still doesn't it doesn't feel right. But yeah, I think I think of those three guys, he'll be the one that'll be the most successful, though. So yeah, there's that. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I definitely think this was the right pick for Detroit. Um, yeah, I mean, similar to you, I had uh, Jaden Ivey at number five for the Pistons because I just thought it was a great fit, um, especially next to Cade Cunningham. And obviously, we can get into the implications of what adding Jalen Duran to get to that means. Um, Because I think that was huge for Detroit as well. But with Jaden Ivey, you know, I really think he is like the perfect complement to Cade Um, at Purdue. He wasn't really, you know, the main ball handler handler a lot of the time. And I think that's really what's going to happen in Detroit or should happen in Detroit as well. I think you want the ball in Cade's hands as much as possible so that he can play make for others and get his own shot as well. Um, So when you really consider Ivey's weaknesses, you know, for me, that's really creating his own three point shot, for example, or you know, getting his own shot in the mid-range where he was genuinely rough at Purdue. Um, I think Detroit has the pieces to sort of make up for that. Ivy just, you know, statistically was way better catching and shooting than off the dribble um, by almost 10%. So if Cade and then, you know, Jalen Duran is also putting pressure on the rim and you have other guys like Sadiq Bey who can also bring things around the floor, then you're giving him easy looks that he should be able to knock down. Yeah. Let me ask you real quick, Wilco, what do you think his ceiling in the NBA is and maybe his floor is? Of course, I'm going after your YouTube channel name. But for me, it's, you know, with Jaden Ivey, I think his ceiling is probably what being a number two option on a championship team, maybe even number one. Uh, what do you think with that? Yeah, I think Jaden Ivey is a good uh, number two option for a championship team. That's how I felt um, about a lot of the guys in this draft. Honestly, I had Jaden Ivey uh, number four on my big board right behind uh, Chet, Jabari, and Paulo in that order. But really, I don't think that any of those guys is probably going to be the number one option on a championship team. Um, I thought this draft was really good in terms of providing depth. Um, You know, guys that are going to have really long NBA careers, guys in the top four or five who, you know, are probably multi-time all-NBA guys or all-defense or maybe all-stars or whatever the case may be. But yeah, I think for Ivy, like a number two option on a championship team sounds great for him. Um, if I'm doing, you know, a floor and a ceiling, I think a floor can be a pretty safe, you know, explosive um, scoring point guard sort of option off the bench. Maybe a role, you know, sort of like later career Derrick Rose, um, which can still, you know, be really valuable in the right circumstances. And his ceiling, I think maybe something similar to like Victor Oladipo, um, you know, he has the size and athleticism for sure. He's got to lock in on defense more often, but 
I think he can get there. He had some good possessions for Purdue all year. Um, but overall, yeah, I'm pretty high on Jaden Ivey. I think that there's a good chance that he's a pretty safe pick for Detroit, especially at five, which is great value. And uh, I'm just really excited to watch the Pistons next season, man. Yeah, no, definitely, for sure. I did also want to ask this, and maybe for all you guys too, um, with Jaden Ivey, there's been like, I think a lot of people are under the assumption that he's going to come in and just produce right away. But I think it's kind of clear he is going to be kind of a long-term sort of project. Like, I don't know if he's someone that can just immediately produce. I feel like there's a still, he has ways to go as a playmaker and a mid-range shooter. So I wanted to ask you guys, what do you guys think is like Ivy's like make or break skill that if he develops this, you can see him reaching that ceiling that you guys were talking about. Or if he doesn't make this, then we just have just another, you know, hyper-athletic guard, but, you know, he doesn't have the, what it takes to get to like the all-star level. What do you guys think is that one thing that he needs to work on that'll make or break, you know, his career? I mean, I don't want to say that it would break his career because I don't think he needs it to be good in the NBA necessarily, but if he wants to make it to really hit that high point that everybody thinks he could, I think it's the shot because if he figures out his shot and becomes a consistent, you know, even just 35, 36% three point shooter in the NBA, he will become very dangerous because when you have that sort of really, really quick first step and you can get by anybody you want just because of your sheer speed with the ball, you know, when you add the shot to that, suddenly you're a versatile player because suddenly defenders can't just sit back on you. They have to get up, guard the shot, and that's when you blow by. And then if they sit back, you can make them pay from three. And so I think that is probably the biggest skill that everybody – all of his coaches are going to be working on all of his trainers and so on, because if he figures that out, he is going to be so dangerous as well as the mid range game too. Yeah, man, I totally agree with you. Um, and just to be a little more specific, I think it's going to be the spot up shooting specifically for Jaden Ivy. I think that, yeah, obviously, you know, if you want, you know, either your point guard or I don't think he's like a pure point guard. I think he's like a combo guard, but you kind of want him in that backward spot. You really want him to be able to shoot the three. And like, if he shoots it off the dribble even better, but with Jaden Ivey, I think what we kind of saw at Purdue and what obviously kind of led him to be, um, you know, the number five pick in this draft was sort of this ability um, to either, you know, push and transition and finish at the rim. And he was getting a ton of possessions in the pick and roll. So if he can't shoot wide open threes or if he can't make them, rather, um, you know, those lanes are going to really close up. I'm not sure how he's going to get to the rim so easily, especially because he still, you know, can kind of get out of control at times. I think that's something that he still has to work on still. And then, you know, if you can just keep going under him on the pick and roll and daring him to shoot and he can't really make that at a high clip, then I think that his offensive, um, you know, sort of potential, I guess, becomes a, uh, a lot more limited. But yeah, for me, it's definitely the shot because in terms of athleticism, in terms of passing, ball handling, even defense, I'm not super, super concerned. Yeah, and what you, what you just touched on, I was going to say body control is something he could really work on um, just because, you know, like I've said before, he, he really feels like a one-speed kind of guy. You know, same thing you see with, like, Russell Westbrook, where it's just, like, goes down the lane super fast, and he can, yeah, he can get out of control a little bit. And I think that also, like, shows on defense sometimes that just, like, he, he might get like a little too far off the ball just because he anticipates a little. And then the, the player on offense just gets, gets separation. So I think that's something he could really work on, obviously, along with the shot. That's, yeah, that's got to improve too, especially if, it's, if he's going to play off ball. Yeah, and I'll also say real quick, like, like Wilco kind of alluded to, I don't think his passing needs to be great because – like we're all saying, he doesn't need to be the lead guard, especially not on this team, because I think with Cade, he's going to be the off-ball player. So you don't need to be a great playmaker. And the other thing, by the way, with his defense, I know there's a lot of concerns there. All of the defensive upside is there. You know, he is a great shot blocker when he wants to be. He's a great perimeter defender when he's actually paying attention and stays disciplined rather than getting, you know, flat-footed and anticipating too much and going after crazy plays. So it's all there defensively too. Like he just, he needs to put it together. But I think the shot is like the biggest question mark because the mechanics of that shot just look weird to me. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I think you're spot on with that. Um, you know, in terms of the passing, I don't think he's like a great passer in that he's going to blow you away with his reads. Like, I think once in a while in transition, he'll pa- he'll have like a pass, which is, oh, like, you know, damn, that kind of, I didn't really expect that. But he, you know, doesn't turn the ball over that much. Um, you know, he's a pretty safe passer. He's never really going to try to blow you out of the water. But I'm not really concerned there. The shot is definitely a little weird. And I think it's going to need some reworking. Um, it's slow. You know, he needs a lot of time to get it off. A lot of space. Well, um, you know, like even if you go under on the pick and roll right now and you're not really shooting that gap, like he still kind of struggles getting the shot off in time. You can still sort of recover and contest it. So he'll definitely have to work on that. It's a little low. Um, I like the touch on it. I think he's got solid touch on it. But in terms of mechanics and speed, he'll definitely need a lot of work there. Um, you know, I, I want to see how it looks like in the summer league. We see a lot of prospects obviously work on their shots and work on everything in those months between the end of the NCAA season and, you know, whenever we see them on the floor in the NBA next. So I'm curious to see how he looks in Vegas. Um, but yeah, definitely that shot uh, is my big question mark. So, yeah, we'll go again. This is one question that I wanted to ask you personally, because with Jay and Ivy, the main narrative is like, I love the fit with Kate Cunningham. Everyone's saying he's a perfect fit with Kate Cunningham, but no one's really like talked about, you know, what makes him such a great fit next to Kate. You know, a lot of people have their ideal fits for many Pistons fans. That player was Ben Matherin, you know, an athletic guard, but who can shoot the ball. And that's kind of what, based on what they saw with Kate Cunningham and Corey Joseph and Killian Hayes, that's what they thought was most needed, you know, just shooting and athleticism. But I kind of want you to take the floor on this and provide your thoughts on like what exactly makes Cade and Jaden Ivey fit together. Is it just like their opposite styles of play or is it, is it something else that makes you really like their fit there? Uh, I think for me, you know, is that in this version of this Detroit team, I mostly see, um, you know, I think Cade, is really going to take a big leap next year. I think he's going to have a great season. I think, um, you know, he was inconsistent, especially early on. And he might always be a player who sort of struggles with turnovers, maybe just because he has a high, you know, volume of possessions. Like he's always going to have the ball in his hand a lot. So he's always going to have a lot of decisions to make. Um, But if you put Jaden Ivey on the team, I think the number of those decisions kind of goes down. I think that Jaden Ivey, he has the offensive motor to sort of carry the offense by himself at times, let Cade really, you know, focus on facilitating for others. Um, you know, I think he's obviously got a lot of potential too as a spot-up shooter. Um, you don't always want Cade having to create these difficult pull-ups for himself from two or from three. So if you're ever able to get him those easier looks, I think that Jaden Ivey is um, the one guy who should really be able to do that. Um, if we're talking, you know, strictly perimeter shooting, uh, I do think Ben Matherin is probably a safer bet than Ivy right off the bat. Um, you know, he's a really good movement shooter. I think, you know, really good athlete too, probably a little bit worse than Ivy. Um, but with Matherin, my biggest concern there is the handle. I think that even though Detroit has, you know, Killian Hayes um, and some other guards and some other guys who can sort of handle the ball, they're still really um, missing a guy who can kind of carry that weight by himself on defense or on offense, I should say. Um, and Jaden Ivey would provide that more so than Matherin, who I think is more so a role player in the longer term. Definitely. I think, I think, yeah, you summed it up pretty perfectly. Like the, how the different dynamics of each player will kind of feed off on each other. But now I kind of want to get your guys's, um, your grades on the pick. This is the thing that all the draft experts do after the draft and they make these grades based on these players. They've never seen play in the NBA before. Um, but yeah, so overall, what would you give Detroit for pick selecting Jay and Ivy? Would you have would you have them wanting to select someone else? Or yeah, maybe perhaps give it a little bit just vacation for your grade. But what would you guys grade the pick? I'll go with the A plus to be honest. I don't think that you can do much better than they did in that situation. I think Jaden Ivy was the consensus number four overall in this draft and fourth best player in this draft. And you got him at five, you know, you got him at a lower salary. You didn't have to trade up nothing, none of that. And so I think it's the exact pick that they had to take there and they did it. So, you know, you, you really can't do much better than that, frankly. So I'll go a plus. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll just go A here. Right? I mean, yeah. But you're just taking the best guy on the board, which is what you need to do when you're in the lottery. And, yeah, that's kind of really all there is to it. I do have, you know, again, a little bit of skepticism about just players from Purdue because Matt Painter's been there for – I don't know how many years and the best player from from Purdue that's been in the NBA under him is probably Etuan Moore. So, I mean, there is a little bit of skepticism just from where he is, but obviously he's a different player and like a different breed compared to him or other guys that have played there. Yeah, I'll go with a A plus as well. Um, a great fit. I think awesome value. Um, really seems to want to be there from everything that I'm seeing everything that he's been saying, posting, all this stuff. So I think he really wants to be in Detroit. Detroit really wanted him. He's a great fit. Number five, um, I had him at four on my board. So, yeah, I think it's a dream scenario for them. And, yeah, I can't even I'm, – I'm literally the same as you guys. I'll also – I'll give it an A, not an A+. Plus, but, uh, yeah, solid pick. I think everyone wanted Jaden Ivey. I'm glad, too, the draft party in uh, Little Caesar Arena got to see Jaden Ivey and – I feel like if Keegan Murray was drafted, there would definitely been a little bit of a mixed reaction, but it seems like most of the fan base was on board with the pick. And yeah, I think, I think he's the guy. He showed a lot of emotion and seems to really want to be in Detroit. So yeah, you can't go, go wrong with that pick. Yeah. Speaking of the fan reaction, I don't know if you guys saw but when Keegan Murray got picked at four, um, the Kings had a draft party outside their stadium and they just did not look that happy. It was a little unfortunate for them, but anyways, moving on with this draft, of course, at pick five, they took Jaden Ivey, but at pick 13, a crazy trade happened. The Pistons traded that 2025 Milwaukee pick that we all said on this podcast from the Grant trade was not a bad, not an awful trade, that there was something else to it. And well, there was. The Pistons managed to get number pick number 13 and acquire Jalen Durant from the New York Knicks for that 2025 pick, along with Kemba Walker's $9 million contract for this year. So what, what are your first thoughts of the trade before we get into the player? Did you think the trade had good value for the Pistons? Like I said, 2025 Milwaukee first round pick that's top four protected and Kemba Walker for pick 13 and Jalen Duran. I think it was great value because, I mean, people were comparing it to Gordon Hayward's contract, which was a lot, a lot more than nine mil. So I think for that, that's great value. And they kind of screwed Charlotte out of that because it was their pick. Um, I think in terms of the actual pick, I like this more than the Ivy one, just because in terms of the value and just how much I like Duran. And he was the number one player in the country uh, coming out of high school. So obviously there's a lot to like about him and you've seen the talent there. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a little other questions about him or more of like his motor and stuff like that, which I think playing with Cade, you know, a guy who's a, who's a real genuine leader that that'll fix it. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I was pretty, I was initially, I was kind of shocked. Like I, I had a feeling that Jalen Duren could be coming to the Pistons because there was just so much reports that Troy Weaver loved Jalen Duren. So when they made the trade for 13, I personally was just so scared that they traded Jaden Ivy. I thought like the Knicks had done something crazy and we got Duran and they got Ivy. But once I found out we were keeping Ivy, I was like all on board. This was, I, people have called it a masterclass by Troy Weaver. And I'd have to agree. I think like what he did was, I think in the future, people shouldn't really judge the trades he makes, you know, right off the bat. Cause like the Jeremy Grant trade, there's always more, there's always more to it. So I mean, for Jeremy Grant, you basically got a pick swap in the second round, 36 or 46. You got Jalen Duran, you got Kemba Walker's contract, which they're going to buy out. And then you only gave, and I mean, you gave up the 25 Milwaukee first, but like we discussed, although Neil, you had a different opinion, like we think we agree that it would still be like a low pick regardless. So I think, yeah, no, I was, I was all on board. I think it was great value for Detroit. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I thought it was awesome value for Detroit. Uh, you know, they're basically not, I don't think, giving away anything super important in exchange for now you have what I might consider the best young core in the league um, with Cunningham, Ivy, and now you add in Jalen Duran. And yeah, I mean, Aiden, I'm with you. I thought that this was an absolutely like awesome value pick. 
Um, for me, I honestly thought that there was a chance that Detroit might have picked him at number five um, if the Kings had selected Ivy at four. I thought that might have been the early sort of surprise of the draft just because, yeah, um, you know, all week we've been hearing about Troy Weaver being such a huge fan of Jalen Duran, and I think he's right to be. Um, you know, I guess we'll get into this a little bit more later, but I think um, the biggest thing that this says to me right off the bat is that Detroit is sort of going with him as their big of the future and not DeAndre Ayton. Um, and this coming, you know, right after those reports, which sort of indicated that the Suns might not make it as easy for other teams to sort of get Aiden away from him, from them. I think it makes a lot of sense to draft Duran here. Um, he was the youngest player in the draft. He's got tons of upside. I think he can be just as good as DeAndre Ayton, just as versatile on offense. Um, I think he's still a little green. He's going to take a bit to come around. I think especially defensively in the NBA, it's sort of always tough for those really young bigs to, uh, you know, like really understand pick and roll coverages and schemes and all these things, just because it takes a minute um, to really adjust to sort of the speed of the game and all that. But I think that Duran is really made to be better in the NBA than he even was at college. And he was already, you know, super dominant at Memphis. Yeah, and I think I think having Stewart there also gives him a lot of room to grow um, and not really be forced into it and just thrown into the fire. I think Stewart there gives him a little bit of padding and just, you know, obviously I think they're drafting him for him to take over that starting role in the future. But also at the same time, like Stewart will probably be a good mentor just because he does have like a little bit of chip on his shoulder and they kind of have, you know, Stewart's a lot shorter, but they still have similar games. Yeah. And I think, so first, first I'll say with the trade, I thought it was fantastic value. You know, you look back at the Jeremy Grant trade, you basically got a lottery pick. You, you shed $12 million in cap space for this summer. You moved up 10 picks in the second round and you got two second round picks out of it. That's fantastic value for him. You know, we said all along that everybody's been overvaluing Jeremy Grant and the Pistons community. And we saw it with the trade initially, but still Troy Weaver got great value. And again, like, like I said on the podcast and we were getting a little bit of heat for it, by the way, like everybody, let's just react with logic from now on with Troy Weaver trades and not emotions because Man, Pistons fans were so mad, but there's always something else to it. And for that, it was the cap space initially. Another thing I'll say with getting Kemba Walker's contract, you still have a max slot available for free agency. And we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, I thought it was fantastic value there. And then with Jalen Duran, I think he's a fantastic player. Um, I think he'll be a great fit with Cade Cunningham. Those pick and rolls are going to be scary because we've been saying all along that Cade just needs a vertical lob threat. He just got it. I mean, they kind of had it with Bagley, but Duran takes it to another level. He is freaky athletic, six foot 11, 250 pounds. He can bully guys like he did with Chet Holmgren in that second round. Um, so I think, I think it's great value there. He's a great player. And so the Pistons have to be pretty happy with that. And so I guess moving on how, and you guys kind of already talked about it, to be honest, but how does Duran affect the Pistons long-term plans? And you can, if you guys want to, you can keep talking about him as a player, but how does he affect the long-term plans for free agency, the rest of the offseason, and the next season, and so on? Um, so I, I guess for free agency, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, they sort of address the big there. Um, but I still think that Detroit has a lot to figure out there in the front court. And even on the wings, I think um, Hamidou Diallo, I want to see what ends up happening with his situation. I think, you know, if he's a guy that you can sort of bring back on a contract that's not huge, he's sort of interesting as an athletic um, defender on the wing, especially now that you kind of need um, that defense while Jalen Duran adjusts to the NBA. Um, you know, Marvin Bagley, I thought he had a really strong end of the season with Detroit, but now all of a sudden, you know, I don't know if you need three bigs on your roster, none of them who can like really space the floor. Um, Kelly Olynyk, you know, I think he's a good fit next to Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart and Marvin Bagley. But again, you know, what are the future of all of those guys? So I do think there's some fit questions there. Um, you know, I think that even with teams in the NBA who sort of have a lot of bigs, such as the Cavs um, or, you know, other teams like that, 
their bigs are sort of more versatile in that they can maybe put the ball on the floor a bit or pass more consistently or shoot the three. But with Detroit, all of the bigs sort of have the same um, like set, set of skills. So I'm kind of interested in seeing what the Pistons do there and who they prioritize. Yeah, I think I personally, I think they drafted Duran to become that kind of long-term center that, you know, ideally will be like their starting father, the number five play. He'll play a center for us, but I do think it'll be like a longer process. I don't, I really, I, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into this, but I really see like a lot of similarities in terms of his development to like Andre Drummond in the sense where you have a really young center who's pretty raw, although I, I would say probably he's shown more flashes than Drummond did. Granted, he is wearing the number zero, which already is like reminding me of Andre Drummond. He didn't have to do that, but um, I, I still I see him as someone at the Pistons are going to kind of bring along. And I wouldn't mind if they got DeAndre in. Like I think that's still sort of in play, but perhaps they probably want to go just get veterans around this young team now. But I think yeah, they bring him along slowly, and then once he's kind of ready and shown that he's like dominating the benches of the NBA, like the second units, then I think um, I think it's time because. Like you said, Kay Cunningham, he's never – so Kay Cunningham truly has never played with someone with like a, a big man who's a truly athletic and can defend and do that. Marvin Bagley kind of showed us a glimpse of what that could look like, but Marvin Bagley has his concerns on the defensive end. But Dylan Duran, he can he plays really well defense and he can he can roll. So it would be good for Cade and good for Duran, who at Memphis – and Volko, you alluded to this in your uh, scouting report – he truly didn't have like a true point, like the point guard and the guard situation, which just wasn't, wasn't consistent. It was hard for us to like truly evaluate him as like a pick and roll guy. But I mean, I, I think he's, that's like his bread and butter. So I'm really intrigued to see, you know, how he fits in with the team moving forward for sure. Yeah. 100%. I thought this uh, situation at point guard for Memphis was always sort of rough. Um, it wasn't his fault, obviously, but uh, I guess, you know, sort of what keep, or what kept Jalen Duran from entering that first tier in this draft was that he's a lot more reliant on others to score and get his buckets, right? So I think that in the NBA, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, but, um, you know, when, when it's Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham feeding him, um, he's just going to have so many more easier looks at the rim. Um, at Memphis, he was already, you know, a really good finisher at the basket, I think over 72% or something like that. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to make that right off the bat in the NBA, but I do think that he's going to get so many opportunities, um, you know, just rolling hard, crashing the boards, um, you know, in terms of the pick and roll and sort of catching lobs and stuff like that. He's going to have a lot more spacing in the NBA than he did at Memphis, too. Um, so I think we're going to get some huge dunks from him this year, for example. I think that we're going to see a lot of highlight plays in the pick and roll or maybe even in transition. I think that Detroit, if they really want to, they can play very fast this year as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think Jalen Duran's, you know, his ceiling is pretty safe. Um, and then, you know, if you really sort of evaluate his potential, I think that he can be a multi-positional defender. Um, you know, like you said, sort of with that Andre Drummond comparison, I think that he's got, you know, really great hands. Um, he can pass the ball a little bit, um, sort of like Drummond, he can get carried away at times and that can ha like have some pretty crazy turnovers. Um, but I would rather him try that sort of stuff than not bring any passing to the table at all. So I think it's going to be fascinating uh, to see how the Pistons sort of develop Duran and see if they can really flesh out those skills or if they keep his role really simple. Yeah, and I think the one thing I'll also say with the Andre Drummond comparison is that Jalen Duran's flashed a little bit of the, the jump shot, just a little bit of the mid-range. We talked about this before the podcast, but he uh, he has a smooth looking shot. We'll see if it actually really translates to the NBA, especially because he doesn't he didn't take like any threes at Memphis. But I think that could be something that they explore. But anyways, moving on to the next or the last part of this discussion on the Pistons draft. What would you guys grade this Jalen Duran pick the trade and then the, the pick together, I guess. This is an A plus pick. I just think physically. He's already ready for the NBA. And then we, I mean, we already just listed out everything we like about him. And he does, he just has an NBA ready game um, or not ready, but like he'll get there. And so I think just the style of play that they run, I think Dwayne Casey will get him right. And 
yeah, it's just kind of the mental aspect and, you know, playing, playing in a system that will benefit him more than, you know, like we talked about Memphis kind of struggling to, you know, figure out their system with their personnel. Yeah. I, I, I would also give this an A plus. I think, I think Darren people, I think we forget to, he reclassified to be in the class of 21. So when he was playing at Memphis, he was really a high school senior. That just first shows how young he is and like how that adjustment already was pretty tough. And a lot of people were giving him a hard time, but it's like, it's pretty tough to just adjust at such a young age. So you have the young age. I, I like him more than Mark Williams. I just feel like there's just a lot more untapped potential for me. It's really going to come down to the motor. And this is, this is also kind of why I'd be th- I'm throwing out this Andre Drummond because Andre Drummond, I, be- I still believe would have been a great player if he just kept the motor at times. I feel like time and time, a lot of times he would just zone out of games. But it seems like um, Duran's going to be motivated and he's going to be playing. Andre Drummond never truly had a true point guard per se. I mean, Reggie Jackson was okay, but even then, I think having Kay Cunningham, having Jane Ivey, two guards who can, Kay Cunningham could definitely, Jane Ivey, will probably also get you some buckets. I think that's just going to open up his game a lot more. And there's a lot of potential also on the defensive end. I mean, the seven foot five wingspan, he can really move across the floor and he's not really a liability to like leave alone on an Island. Obviously he's not, I think Isaiah Stewart's kind of, kind of took in that throne of being the number our best big man perimeter defender, but Duran can hang in there as well. So he has all the traits that you want in a big man. And I I wonder about the Bam out of bio comparisons that I've seen about him. And I don't know, Woke up, if you kind of want to address that. I don't know how much I feel about how much if I see the game translating, but um, I'm, I'm all in. I'm really excited for this pick. And it appears Troy Weaver was really high, as you said, like would have probably drafted him five had uh, Ivy not fallen to them. So yeah, I'm excited for that pick for sure. Yeah, I think this, uh, it's a home run pick. Um, another A plus. I mean, I, I just thought Detroit honestly had the best draft out of any team in the NBA, honestly. So for me, all, all of their picks were just, you know, incredible value as well. And picking Duran here in this position at the draft, um, for me, it addressed a long-term need for Detroit. And not only that, but I thought that he was by far the best player available there at that slot. Um, you know, I, I really saw situations before the draft lottery, I guess, mostly, but um, where Duran could have gone as high as number four in the right situation. You know, um, if it was a team that really needed a center, for example, I thought he could have been number four because that's the type of potential that I think he brings to the table. Um, I get the concerns where it's like, all right, um, very few teams nowadays can build around a center, you know, maybe just Joel Embiid or Jokic. Um, you know, we'll have to see about like Carl Anthony Towns or I guess even Paulo Bancaro this year, if you sort of consider him um, playing the five in the NBA. But I think that Jalen Duran, he's never going to be the main guy on a championship team, um, which is sort of, you know, going back to that Bam Adebayo comparison. I think that Bam is sort of expected to be in the long term, the main guy for Miami. But I don't think with Duran, that should ever be the expectation. I think that he's always going to be a guy who's a great defender you know, especially around the rim. Um, He'll make, you know, the easier buckets, um, you know, offensive rebounding, catching lobs, all that stuff, running the floor hard. And then I do think that there is some untapped potential, more than Mark Williams, definitely, when it comes to his passing. I think that he's shown some stuff, you know, passing on the short roll, off the pick and roll, or even when with his back to the basket, you know, sort of making quick decisions that show that he does think about the game and that even though he's a great athlete, it's not like his entire game. It's just, oh, you know, I'm stronger and bouncier than you. Um, you know, he plays with, with intention. Uh, I think that he can definitely, even if it won't be his calling card once in a while, you know, make an elbow jumper, um, you know, and ideally in the long term, if he can make a wide open three, even better. For sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll also have to go with an A grade for this. I thought that, you know, it was a home run trade, great value for the pick there, and then a great pick with its with itself, with Jalen Duran. I think. He was a guy who I thought was one of the best centers in this draft. I guess, actually, I would say best true center, um, because I wouldn't consider Chet to be that. But 
Yeah, he's a good player, and you guys already kind of hit on it. He is the youngest player in this draft. I don't know if a lot of people know about that. He is the youngest player in the draft. So, you know, you're basically getting a guy that should be entering his freshman year of college in the NBA. So you just get another year of training and development for this kid. And so I think he has a very good ceiling, very good potential to become a great player and a great fit with the Pistons. Um, Real quick, Wilco. Just for you, since I don't think the rest of us know too much about this guy. The Pistons at pick 36 took Gabriel Prochida, is I believe how you pronounce it. Uh, I looked up the pronunciation, but you got to roll the R's too, by the way. But what what do you think of this, this guy, if you've seen a lot of him? Because I'll just be honest, I really haven't. Yeah, I mean, the pronunciation was good. Um, yeah, I've seen a bit of him, you know. <laughs> Uh, I think that whenever you think of a guy, you know, sort of an Italian wing or guard in the NBA, because I think he's going to play the two or the three. Um, it's sort of like Marco Bellinelli who comes to mind. So he's mostly like, you know, a shooter, um, not very athletic. But I think this guy here, um, he's a huge upside swing. I want to see him come over, play summer league ball in the States, in Vegas um, in a few weeks, because I think that his game is tailor made for the NBA especially, um, you know, in the Pistons where ideally if everything hits and, you know, Detroit becomes a championship contending team or, you know, someone who makes a deep playoff run, um, you know, he's a guy that you can definitely put on the wing and fill a role. Uh, He shot about 38% from deep in the Italian league this season. Uh, You know, he can still get bothered a little bit by, you know, speed and size. So I think in the NBA that might take a little while to come around, especially because he would be playing against much, much better um, athletes in competition. But from an athletic point of view, I mean, he's a great athlete. He's thrown down some huge dunks. Um, I had a YouTube video come out yesterday in which I sort of looked at him a little bit. Um, and, you know, he's throwing down some huge lobs in transition, um, crashing the boards. And then on top of that, he can, you know, spot up and shoot the three pretty reliably, I think, in the long term. Um, you know, I think what he sort of struggles with still right now is creating his own shot. But for Detroit, I feel like we don't even have to talk about that necessarily because unless he really, really hits and this is a huge, you know, swing in the mid thirties, um, you know, you're never really going to want him to create his own shot anyways. So if you're able to sort of get him to leverage that athleticism on both ends, um, cause you know, he's six, eight, pretty strong already, almost 200 pounds. I think he's only about 20 years old. Um, and then he can, you know, knock down his threes and play above the rim, you know, just make a difference that way then Detroit could probably get a steal, um, you know, a year or two down the line or whenever they choose to bring him over. Yeah, I always, anytime I see drafting stash, I'm always just like, oh man, we just wasted a pick. But it seems like this guy actually has has some potential as a sharpshooter. So I'm excited to see if they bring him back. And he was quite, I don't know if you know, knew, but he was 32. I didn't know who he was, but he was number 32 on uh, Sam Bassini's board. So, I mean, he had some fans, but um. And anyway, that's kind of irrelevant now, but let's now talk about the main draft overall, the overall NBA draft, which I would say overall, <laughs> I've used that word so much, was pretty chaotic. I think, I think we could all say from the top three, from Woj announcing the top three picks and then the order changing, like Woj getting it wrong. I think, I think it was just made it great for TV. So it was, it was a fun draft overall, but let's now, let's just get into it. The who are your guys' winners? Who are you guys winners of this draft? Other than Detroit, obviously, as we've discussed, what, what were some other teams which you guys thought won the draft? Yeah, I'll go with um, the Houston Rockets. I thought that this was a great draft for them, surely because I think they got the number one overall pick at pick three. I've been, you know, I've been saying kind of all along that I think um, Jabari Smith is the best player in this draft. And so to get him at number three, is just fantastic value there. I mean, he literally just fell into their laps. And so you get a guy with high motor, great intangibles, great looking shot. He plays very well off ball. He doesn't need the ball in his hands and plays fantastic defense. And don't even get me into the length that the dude has at six foot 10. I mean, you're getting everything that you want with a stretch power forward in the, this new NBA that we have all become accustomed to. And so I thought that was a great pick. And to get him at pick three is a win in its own. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a Chet guy, so I'm not gonna go with Houston, but I'll I'll say I'll say San Antonio. I I like what they did with Sochan, Branham, and uh, Blake Wesley in the first round. It it's not it's not the same as like the Killian, Sadiq, Stewart kind of three first rounders, but it does seem like they are like choosing a direction and like building a little bit around Dejounte Murray which I kind of like. And I think, you know, Branham really showed out. He, he was a he was a nice surprise um, this year. Uh, I mean, I guess same with Sochan and Wesley too. But I think I think all three of those dudes really feel like, you know, Spurs kind of players, especially Sochan. Um, but I, I really like that that uh, that class. Yeah, um, I like the I like Houston a lot too. I thought Jabari Smith, he was my number two player, but getting him at three is really good. And I do think that even though some of my concerns with him are about creating his own shot and stuff like that, um, you know, if in the short term with Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., he's sort of taking those easier shots early on, then he might, um, you know, put together a really great season when it comes to shooting. Um, yeah, I love what the Spurs did as well with them. Um, got a lot of guards, um, which is what I'm a little concerned about. But I think that all of the guys they drafted have huge potential. So I trust San Antonio to figure it out. Um, but then for me, I thought I thought OKC had a great draft. Um, I'm a Chet guy as well. So for me, he was the number one player in the draft. Um, it was really clear that, you know, when they had the option to go between him and Jabari at two and they went with Chet, he was their number one guy on the big board all along. Um, so I think they got who they wanted there. Usman Jang, um, you know, French wing who played in New Zealand. He really intrigues me sort of as that big sort of 6'9", 6'10", playmaker in the pick and roll, um, multi-positional defender, you know, and Jalen Williams at 12 right after that. He's a guy who I think can become an excellent shooter. Um, you know, played for small school in Santa Clara, but I think he's going to develop really well in OKC. Um, they got sort of these guys who they love that are really long and can handle the ball and have skills with it and who, you know, have some question marks about their shooting still. But overall, I think that I love what they did and they're going to make another big step up next year if they really want to. And then really quickly, I love New Orleans as well with Dyson Daniels and EJ Liddell. I thought EJ Liddell was great value at 41. Um, I'm not his biggest fan, but I still thought he was worth a pick in the late 20s. Um, so to get him at 41 and you can sort of pair him next to Zion as that sort of four or five that can protect the rim and switch. And then Dyson Daniels in that defensive three and deep point guard role, I think is also going to be a great fit. Um, but yeah, I thought this draft was wild and tons of teams came out looking pretty good. Yeah, no, I was I was gonna say uh, I thought the Pelicans draft was was really good. I really like Dyson Daniels fit there. Like you know, you have Brandon Ingram, Devontae Graham, you have Zion, but I feel like Dyson Daniels can be that player that kind of puts it all together in a sense. And they also have Zion. You know, they they really hit on Herb Jones last year, but Dyson Daniels seems like a player. He's kind of like I know people throw the Lonzo Ball comp, and they they still to me they differ in, in their own ways, but still he, I feel like he kind of puts the team together and. You know, if he kind of if he can reach that potential ceiling of like being the best perimeter defender or best defender in this draft class and then, you know, becoming maybe a, a respectable shooter and like a playmaker overall. Like I really like I like the pick and I like EJ Liddell. One thing you did mention, though, about uh, San Antonio, I I completely forgot to they drafted Josh Primo last year and then they also have DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker, and now they added Wesley and Branham. And I'm pretty high on Branham. So I actually that's actually something that I actually like keep your eye on and wonder like if the Spurs are looking at moving at moving perhaps Walker or perhaps Murray or something because yeah they have they have a ton of guards now sure for sure um I mean Brandon was a guy that Vinayak I know you were saying that you're the type of guy that says the number one pick in this draft <laughs> I mean I think he's I think if you do a redraft yeah, that's my bold prediction guys if you redraft okay. in like five ten years I think he's he's maybe not number one but he's I think he's up there he's up there Okay. Okay. All right. Well, on the flip side, he's gonna of the- be the next Jared Culver, by the way. Look <laughs> it. <laughs> you gotta do him like that, though, Aiden. <laughs> no, I'm playing. Yeah, but on the flip side of the winners, we have, of course, there's the losers of the draft. So, 
who, what team was the biggest loser of this draft in your guys' opinion? I'm going to say the Knicks just because I want to dunk on them. And, but also at the same time, thank them for Jalen Durant. Um, but Neil and I have been Knicks haters for a while and they got the four seed or yeah, four seed in 2019 or, or wait, 2020. 2020. I don't even, yeah, they got the, not the four seed in 2020 and they really have not gotten any better like since then. And yeah, they wasted another pick and they're still waiting on a marquee free agent um, until the end of time. So yeah, easy loot. Yeah, I would, I know so there's like a lot of teams. I'm going to say the, the Hornets. I feel like, so they, they gave up the 13th. They got Mark Williams, which I think is fine, but I just don't think they got enough value for pick number 13. Um, they got the, I think they got Detroit's 2025 first and looks like they got four second rounders, which I mean, it's picks and stuff, but I, I feel like, I feel like that, that type of package is maybe like a 16 or 17. I feel like 13 is kind of reach. Honestly, Charlotte in my eyes should have just made the pick, which is why I would kind of give him a loser. I mean, Mark Williams is great, but I think Charlotte really had opportunity to just make the two picks or at the very least, which is, which is also why I think I kind of give them a loser. They didn't get to dump anyone's salary to make room to, you know, they, they have Miles Bridges uh, as a restricted free agent coming up. So Gordon Hayward isn't on the move, you know, Terry Rozier is still there. I mean, they have a lot of, I would say pretty, pretty large contracts. So I was a little bit kind of, kind of confused on as to why they didn't make those moves, but yeah, that would be my main loser. And I'm I'm kind of leaving the the big loser uh, for for Wilco, but uh... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought Sacramento had a really rough draft, and this is more so about them than Keegan Murray because I like Keegan Murray a lot. I think that you know he's a little bit on the older side, but he really only started playing high level ball when he was much older. So I'm not too worried about him being 22 soon. Um, I'm just worried about how the how the Kings develop their draft prospects. You know, I think I think Jaden Ivey at number four didn't really make much sense for them. Um, you know, especially with De'Aaron Fox, but after Davion Mitchell last year. Um, and I thought Davion Mitchell for them last year already made little sense, but it didn't make any sense to get rid of him after this year either. So all of a sudden they were just stuck in this really weird roster construction spot where the best available guy um, was sort of a combo guard, which is what I think De'Aaron Fox's best long-term role kind of is. Um, and they also got Davion Mitchell, so they couldn't go with Ivy. They went with Murray instead. Um, but I think that this might prove to be one of those picks in a few years where we're looking to see who was fourth and who was fifth and which team drafted where, and the Kings might come out on the shorter end of the stick again. Um, and not only that, but the Kings also, they had a pick originally um, at 37, which was Jaden Hardy um, out of the G League Ignite, who I thought, you know, was worth the pick, at least in the 20s. Um, and they traded that pick to Dallas as well, when maybe, you know, if you did want to pick a guard at any point in this draft, he was the guy who was available there. And maybe you take a point on him because I think that he's a high level, um, high potential type of guy. But, yeah, I thought the Kings, you know, really struggled. Um, I agree that the Knicks didn't have a great draft either. They got uh, Trevor Keels in the 30s, who's all right. But I think he's just going to play in the G League. And I do like the return on the three first-round picks next year or three potential first-round picks. But I thought the Knicks were in a position to do something this year to help them out for next season. And they just sort of dumped the Kemba Walker salary instead. Um, so that was probably disappointing for Knicks fans. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, for sure it was. I will, I will say about the Knicks just real quick. I, I think at least their direction is set that they clear the cap space. They're going to now make a push to Jalen Brunson and they have three first next year. I'm not sure. I think it's, if it's all next year and next year's draft is like regarded as probably one of the better drafts. Like a lot of people have been talking about it. it so it's I, not all I, next I, year though. They got, they got the 2025 oh. pick is one of them. But they got did they get a pick at 2023 as well? Um 
I think they got, I think two of the other two are, I believe, but I could be wrong on that. So they could, I mean, they could be looking at like multiple picks in 2023, which I think is valuable. It's, it's kind of a long-term game with them. And, you know, like, like you said, I mean, the, the player that was at 11 was Diang, Usman Diang. And I think he's going to be great, but Knicks fans, they just have way too high expectations. And um, I don't know. I feel like he wouldn't have been the one that would have delivered it. So I, I, I kind of see where they're going. It depends or not what do you think Jalen Brunson is like the $25 million player, but yeah, it's a, I can see why in the moment it's a pretty frustrating night to be a Knicks fan. Yeah. I think the three first round picks for me was why I didn't list the Knicks as one of my biggest losers. I think I completely agree that Charlotte is also because not just because of the picks that they had, but just the fact that they didn't unload the contracts. They were expecting to unload Hayward's contract, be a player in free agency for somebody. They didn't do that. And instead, on top of that, you trade pick 13, and then you take Mark Williams at 15, which nothing against Mark Williams, but I think Duran is the better center in this draft. And I, I would say a way better center prospect. And so they had him right there at 13 and said they trade that away. And by the way, not for great value. I think they got four second-round picks out of that. And so... Yeah, I just I think the Hornets, they didn't do right, in my opinion. Um, Sacramento, completely agree on. I think, again, Keegan Murray will be a solid player in the NBA. But the fact that the Kings took him at four when there were news that or reports that the Knicks offered multiple first round picks to them, I just don't understand why you take Keegan right there. They could have even traded back maybe to with Indiana to six and gotten Keegan Murray there. I don't know. But I think the loser that I'll have to go with is the Atlanta Hawks. Nobody's talking about them, and for good reason, because A.J. Griffin at 16 does nothing for that team. He's a solid player. I don't really think he's going to be a great NBA player, honestly, because I think the explosiveness is a little bit gone with him. And the other issue that I see is that Atlanta was in a situation where they were trying to get rid of John Collins. They were trying to dump that contract, maybe even get rid of the wing the jam at the traffic jam that they have at their wings at the three and the four, they didn't do any of that. And instead you just go out and draft AJ Griffin, who is a small forward. And I don't think who has, you know, great potential to turn into a great NBA player. So I thought that was an awful draft for the Hawks. And I'll also say the wizards just to knock on them every single year. Like I do, they continue to not do anything in, the, in these drafts. Like Johnny Davis is solid, but I want to see Washington finally like, be aggressive, do what Troy Weaver does and actually go for it. Don't just sit at your pick every year. And I feel like that's what the wizards do. That's what they did last year with Corey Kispert. And that's that they're just stuck right now in the log jam of being mediocre um, in the NBA. And so we'll see if they can finally get out of that. But as far as players goes, do you guys have any sleeper picks that I know Vinay, you've already said Malachi Branham. I don't know if you'll go with them here, but any sleeper picks for this draft of a guy that went a little bit later that you think will turn into a pretty good NBA player? Yeah, I think, um, you know, at 24, Marjan Bochamp for the Bucks. I think that he's a guy who can sort of play right off the bat for them next year. Um, he's an easy plug-and-play guy as a 3 and D wing, um, you know, played up to the four um, for the G League Ignite. And I think he's sort of a guy um, in a couple years that you can imagine him defending one through four. Um, I thought his role was sort of limited in the G League, and it remains to be seen if that was really for a reason, but I thought at other levels of play before, he sort of showed some untapped offensive potential, um, sort of in that scoring, stubborn wing, kind of like Jimmy Butler or someone like that. So if his development really, you know, took a step up, um, I wouldn't be totally surprised. He's a super hard worker, always in the gym, um, locks in defensively, great motor. So I think at 24, he could be a really, 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 really good value for Milwaukee. And, you know, in a few years, if we're talking about him um, top 10 in a redraft or top eight or something like that, I wouldn't be totally surprised because I already had a lottery grade on him coming into Thursday. Yeah, you already you already know I was going to say Brandon, but I'll throw another name. I've been I, if you guys have seen the past drafts, I've just been throwing darts, but um. One player I really liked was uh, Ryan Rollins, um, 41 at Golden State. I think, I think he kind of fell. I honestly like, I was I was pretty high on him in the draft process. The kid from Detroit, and the guy can score. The guy can he can score really well, and he kind of showed it at the combine. But 
I think the fact that Toledo just didn't get to the NCAA tournament, they kind of, no one got to really see what was in his, no one really got to be exposed to him. And he's just a player that I think they already had, he, he today actually compared himself to Sean Livingston, which I thought was, was kind of interesting as well. But he, like a lot of people consider him as a player that could be that like late round Jordan Poole type player. And I, I, I can perfectly see that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes an impact player uh, moving forward because there's, a lot of people don't know about him, but, um, and he's in the, he's literally like any prospect that gets drafted to Golden State, it, it's a, it's a win-win. It's a great situation. You'll be under probably the best mentors you can ever have. So, I mean, it's a big win for him for sure. Yeah. I'm going to go with the other Golden State player, Pat Baldwin. I think, you know, obviously he had underwhelming is putting it nicely at UW Milwaukee. Um, just with the whole situation was really weird anyway to start. So I think for that, like, yeah, it was super underwhelming, but I think him going to the Warriors, you know, it's an, it's kind of a no harm, no foul. Like if he does, if he's a bust, like not really a big deal, but you know, if he, if he was, you know, a top three player in that, that recruiting class of 2022 and like he hits, that's just going to make them, even more dangerous than they than they already are and I think I think for that reason I think it could be a sleeper um I also want to shout out Tari Eason at 16 for the Rockets because I really I really like him I don't think uh people I mean obviously they drafted Jabari but I think he's a really good player and he got he got that dog in him as some people say so I I really like that pick too. I don't think he was like a reach or anything or like he was he was around that projected around that area so I wouldn't really consider him a sleeper but I do want to say I like that pick and kind of that fit in Houston yeah I'll go with a guy who I think is really NBA ready and reminds me a lot of Sadiq Bay actually in that and I'll, I'll, I'll go with Oche or Ochai that's how you pronounce it. Ochai Agbaji out of Kansas. I think that he has a great shot. He shot 40% from three last year. He really reminds me a lot of Sadiq Bey, except he's more athletic. Um, there's a little bit of untapped potential with him just because of that athleticism. Uh, like a lot of scouts had issues with how he used that in games and specifically defensively, but all the upside I think is there. And he has a smooth looking shot. His free throw numbers were a little low because I think he, I think his free throw percentage in college was like 73% his senior year. And that was the best that it was throughout his college career, which is a little worrying, but surprisingly, I actually looked it up. Sadiq Bey had similar free throw numbers and similar three point numbers to Agbaji. And so he just, he gives me that type of feel of, he's not going to turn into the best player in this draft. There's no doubt about that. Probably not even, not even the top five player in this draft, but I could see him for a guy getting picked at 14. He could be a guy that in five years when we're doing a redraft, you know, people would take it, maybe pick seven or eight, something like that. I think he'll be a very NBA ready type of player. And so on the flip side of the sleeper picks to close out this episode, the last question will be, who is the biggest reach in this draft? Who was a player that went way too high or way too earlier or earlier than you expected? Um, I can, I can take this. I, I personally, like, I felt like outside of like Jaden Hardy, I would actually tend to agree that I feel like most players went where this is kind of a cop-out answer. You guys probably have specific players, but I felt like for the most part, most players went where I'd want, I'd expected them to go, at least in the first round. I thought like, you know, Shane Sharp at seven was pretty expected, you know, John Davis, 10, Diego. Like, I felt like everything was fair game. Um, there were some picks that, like, I'm not going to lie, Diabate, Musa Diabate getting drafted, I was pretty surprised with that. I didn't expect him to get drafted. And Caleb Houston, both the Michigan guys got Michigan guys got drafted quite early, which I thought was a little bit noteworthy. But for the most part, I actually thought teams, like, as far as what people's boards were, it was pretty consistent um, overall. And there weren't any picks for me where I was like, oh, that's, that's a terrible pick. Like, for example, a pick that a lot of people, um, at first, like, I was, I was hanging out with the Bulls friend, and the Bulls had the 18th pick and they took Dale and Terry. He was criticizing that, but then like 
if you had read before the draft, you'd seen Dale and Terry was a player that was rising on people's boards. A lot of people had him. So I felt like it was pretty reflective of what you were hearing before the draft. But uh, perhaps it's a cop-out answer and you guys actually have uh, Man, a that's a cop-out answer. <laughs> uh, I have a couple answers. Well, one of them, Walker Kessler at 22, I'm not a huge fan of for Minnesota. Um, I like him as a guy instead of as a, big, a backup big in the NBA. But I thought, you know, his value in the long run, I think it might be more in the second round. Um, I think he's just not a great athlete. I think he's really going to struggle against NBA guards. And he's really huge. And, you know, he was really um, a defensive presence at Auburn in college. But I think it's one of those guys who's not really going to translate to the NBA. And then number 23, um, David Roddy to Memphis, I thought it was a bit of a reach. Um, I will say that Memphis deserves credit because – they have a particular type of player they like and they always sort of target it and they're very loyal to that philosophy. So I respect that um, in that they sort of like those big bodied wings um, like David Roddy or John Conchar or, you know, like Brandon Clark who have these unorthodox body types but um, have a lot of skill and you're sort of banking on that to develop in the NBA and just be productive doing whatever. Um, but I thought at 23, he was a bit, of a of a reach for me, um, especially considering other guys that were on the board, like Bo Champ, who I mentioned earlier, or you know Blake Wesley, who we talked about, um, Nikola Jovic, Ty Ty Washington, guys like that. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go. I have a couple people. First, I'm just gonna say, um, Max Christie at 35 was very surprising to me and I think him in LA is not that great of a fit and I know Skip Bayless tweeted out something about they the the Lakers drafted a three and D guy who only shot 32 percent from three and like something about pairing them with Westbrook and I don't know Bro, and, it, then, and Skip, then Russell Westbrook got so mad too yeah so there's that but obviously it's a second round pick. So it's not really, you're not really, it's not really considered a reach, but I will say Christian Brown uh, feels like a reach at 21. Um, He showed, he showed some nice flashes at Kansas, but he was never like the guy there. I think in terms of fit with Denver, I think it feels like Denver is trying to look for a replacement for Michael Porter Jr. There. And that's kind of weird. Um, he's, he's, he has decent athleticism. Like he can beat you off the dribble. Like he's a, he's a solid, like three point shooter, but I just don't see like a ton of his speed translating to the league and just, yeah, I think overall he, he seems like a, a really solid college player. Um, obviously Abaji was like the guy at Kansas this year and Brown was kind of the number two or number three, um, but yeah, I don't know. It it seems like a reach. A lot of people projected him to be, you know, second round. So yeah. Yeah. So Wilco kind of took mine, to be honest. I was gonna go with David Roddy. I think I, I fully agree. I think that that was a big reach by Memphis. Initially, I thought it was Philadelphia, but they traded that pick to Memphis. And I just think, you know, having seen Roddy in person at the Michigan's first round game against the Colorado state. I think he's kind of your classic example of a guy who's playing at a smaller school and just gets all the touches. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's, he was a very, very good college player. There's no doubt about that, but man, he took a lot of shots in every game and his three point percentage went up. His overall field goal percentage was pretty darn good, but I just – I'm not sure if the NBA fits there. He kind of reminds me – I said it during the Colorado State game against Michigan that he reminds me of like a football player playing basketball because he's really big. He's chunky. And, yes, he can body guys out the way, but I don't think he's going to be quick and agile enough to really translate to the NBA well enough. And then another player that I'll say is Caleb Houston to go along with the trend of Aiden and I knocking on our college's players – I got to go with Caleb Houston. They get picked that early at pick 32 to the Orlando Magic was just crazy to me because anybody who saw Caleb Houston this past season would have said, you know, he 
frankly, was not a first-round pick for sure, nowhere near it, and at best a second-round pick and a later one at that. And so I'm still surprised that he went that early. I know that I think a lot of scouts rely on high school scouting to pick some of these players, like Pat Baldwin Jr., for example, where you know, if they were great high school players, they kind of think even if they struggle in college that they can get it back and get going. But man, I tell you what, having seen Caleb Houston play for like 35 games, I'm not sure he can. I'm rooting for him. I am um, as you know, he's obviously a former Wolverine, but I'm just not sure. I think that was a big reach there. Yeah, for sure. Um, overall, though, this uh, this draft was quite crazy and I think it for for us personally like I think it was a lot more fun than the 2021 draft I think getting number one pick getting Kate is great but this draft really like I felt like was just a lot more I was a little bit more invested too in terms of like you know, talking talking with you guys about the prospects and stuff like that so it was great um yeah that kind of wraps up this episode um thank you uh Wilco for actually actually Wilco I'm gonna I want to let you uh shout out your you know plug yourself give yourself your shout out do what you got to do where can the listeners find you and uh if you have any updates on any videos or stuff you were making in the future uh yeah i mean you can find me on twitter at woco mcv um you know i post all sort of nba stuff draft stuff on there basketball stuff i'll post summer league stuff on there and then uh youtube floor and ceiling um you know links in my twitter bio as well but we're getting up on 3K subscribers. So that's the next goal right there. Um, I'm going to just be putting out, you know, more draft content, summer league stuff as well. Um, but yeah, plenty to watch out in the future. I would say those are my main two things. And, you know, if anyone ever wants to reach out to me with whatever, um, I'm pretty active on social media. So, yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, if, if there's any scout that is like listening to this podcast or any NBA team, I mean, you got to just got to hit them up. I, I mean, your draft, your draft content's really, is really good. I feel like it's criminally underrated, like how many, like you're growing, you're that, growing, bro. you're growing right now and like you're 3K, but I feel like you, you have really got the potential to go big. So um, yeah, for sure. Be sure to check out his content. Do you guys have any other final words, Aiden Neal? I'll just say, I think the Pistons Summer League, and we'll obviously have a bunch of episodes on this, but I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch. Ivy and Duran, I think that's going to be a great duo. The pick and rolls with those two, oh, my God. There's going to be so many highlights from those Summer League games. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also want to say Livers, too, because I think Livers will, will play. Obviously, I don't think Cade will play, but I think, you know, some guys from last year will also get some PT there. Um, but I will say just overall, I think that, you know, a lot of people say this, this draft class is pretty weak outside of the top three, but I, I do think in a couple of years, we'll, we'll talk about it and it probably won't be the worst draft class in the, the, in recent history, like people are saying it is. No, definitely for sure. But yeah, guys also just want to say, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms. We are really like pushing out content on Instagram, on Twitter, and on TikTok. Be sure to follow us on the Three Rings podcast. Um, we have content coming up for the Summer League as well. Um, definitely a lot to talk about. We'll see if Jaden Ivey can check off one of the things on his phone. If he will be the Summer League MVP, we'll find out. But um, yeah, guys, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Three Rings podcast. Peace, y'all. Like and subscribe.